Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I don't think that'll be the last pun. Don't make statements that you can't back up. One of the last, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> don't lie. Okay. <laughs> Stay true to yourself. Hello, listeners. Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. This season's theme is tools and inventions. We are talking about ladies that invented something or were involved in the development of a tool used in our field. All right. Today, we will be discussing Anna Connolly, the person who patented the first modern fire escape in the United States. I'm Nergeri Rivas, going to the Stephanie Kevin wedding extravaganza in Houston, Texas. Hi there, I'm Jessica Rogers, recovering from my weekend seeing Beyonce, based out of Miami, Florida. Oh, hey. <laughs> I'm Lizzie Rar, and I'm going wine tasting this weekend in San Francisco. Ooh. Also great. Yes. All right, so quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find, you know. Like how girlfriends do. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Send us a comment and we will all continue learning. Before we start, I want to give a trigger warning. We will be discussing a gruesome subject involving fires, accidents, and unfortunately death. So please be aware before proceeding and decide if you want to keep going. Ooh, good call. Wow. Okay. I am prepared. Thank you for warning us. Yes. I'm guessing the two of you have no choice. <laughs> right. But yes, everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Listeners. I mean, I could sign off this call, I suppose, but no, that's true. Because then it's not our show. Well, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but to get in a good mental space prepared for that. So, yes, for sure. Today, we're going to do a little deep dive, <laughs> as I like to say, <laughs> into fire escapes. Because it's a sad history lesson, but fascinating to learn how far we've come from their first iterations. So 
From my research, I would say that probably in the early days of multi-story buildings, if there was a fire and for some reason you couldn't get to the stairs and had to exit through the window, one of the first DIY fire escape was people making their own ladder with steps and ropes. From the images that I found on the internet, it looked like this was a very rudimentary first attempt at fire safety from multi-story buildings. Any way to survive, right? Yeah, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But officially, the very first fire escape that we have in documented history was actually invented by the Englishman Daniel Masseris in 1784. He invented a machine that he called a fire escape, which was basically a rope and a pulley. And you tie this quote unquote machine to the window and then pulley yourself down. It made me think of when I went indoor rock climbing as a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you had to like repel from the building. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best idea. It's more like the first pancake, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it also reminds me of, you know, like when you had a basket out your window and people used it to haul stuff up and down like a dumbwaiter kind of thing. But except the stuff is your body. Like, yeah, we'll we'll get there. That's kind of what it made me think of. Yeah, that's going to be a next iteration, actually. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, geez. After Daniel's machine. Abraham Wivel, superintendent of the Royal Society for the Protection of Life from Fire, just like saying that name, under Abraham's direction, invented a portable ladder that could be wheeled into the scene and put together quickly to reach high stories. The ladder was mounted on a wheeled chariot. Whenever it got to the scene of the fire, a fly ladder was swung into position with ropes. A rescued person could quickly be passed down through a canvas chute that hung from below the ladder. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like something out of a cartoon. I'm not going to lie. Yes. Like, I'm imagining people like flying out of this slide at the end of the ladder. I really hope there was a crash mat. But. Oof. And also just the fact that they're like running with the ladder to get it there in time, like the chair, that Mm -hmm. feels very cartoonish to me. But it does sound maybe more efficient than the pulley system. But as long as they can get to you in time. Yeah. Yes. It totally sounds like something right out of Boris and Natasha or Popeye. Yeah. (laughs) If you're thinking that's almost as dangerous as the fire itself, I would say you're exaggerating, but not by much. (laughs) Still, it was the best they had at the time. Yeah, this second iteration is definitely better than the first where you just had that rope. Yeah, they both sound dangerous. But like you said, you know, it was the best that they could do at the time. Right. At some point, they also added, here we go, Lizzie, a wicker basket to Daniel's machine, which to me sounds like a glorified dumbwaiter. Exactly how you are describing. Yes. I mean, okay, listen. Fire safety was really unsafe. Right. But that's easy for me to say living in the age of IBC codes and fire sprinklers. If it hadn't been for these first steps, we wouldn't be where we are today. You're totally right. But yes. okay, this is exactly what I was imagining with the repel version. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will say we are very lucky to live in the time period that we do. 
But also there's something about like wicker and fire that sounds just like extra not safe. But, you know, we are more evolved now. <laughs> I'm telling you, fire safety was unsafe. Yes. <laughs> I guess it's, it's better than no fire safety, though. Like, true. I guess. This feels like the best time to introduce the heroine of today's story. Now, I know that I've shared before that finding information on some of the ladies has been hard. But I gotta say that Anna Connolly takes the cake to the point that I can't even be sure of when she was born. When did she pass? What did she do with her life other than totally revolutionize fire safety? Though, I mean, what else do you do once you've done that? True. I mean, it sounds like that one thing is a huge accomplishment. Yeah, uh, maybe we can give her the benefit of the doubt and say that perhaps her info got caught in a fire. Okay, so perhaps the time was September 23rd, 1868, and perhaps the place was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and her parents were English. Okay, so are these confirmed dates and places or did you just make this up? Yeah, I like how you just warned us that you don't have any info. And then you were like, and here's this information. Like not even some ladies, it's like, oh, she was born maybe in this year or this year. You have a legitimate date. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It is a real date and a real Anna Connolly was born that day, but I cannot confirm that it was ours. Uh, I researched a few ladies with that name born around that time. And that one added up the most in the timeline. I see. Okay. Okay. Got it. We know during these times, women did not have a lot of rights, but surprisingly, they did have the right to file patents, as Mm. we discussed on episode 81. On May 5th, 1809, Mary Dixon Keyes became the first woman to apply for and receive a patent in the U.S. under her own name. Mm. The patent was for a process for weaving straw with silk that was then used by New England hat makers. Way to go, Mary. Mm-hmm. Weave that straw. By the time Anna filed to patent her fire escape in 1887, other ladies had been receiving patents, mostly related to clothes and appliances. Also around this time, cities were growing exponentially, like seriously, between 1880 and 1900. Thanks to all the industries popping up left and right, cities in the United States grew by 15 million people. They had to fit somewhere. So buildings started getting taller and taller. And, you know, it was wild, scary times. No zoning, no IBC, anything goes. Oh, yeah. It was crazy out there. Yeah, the Wild Wild West, but all over. Listeners, for a little more background on this, listen to episode 24, Catherine Bauer, where I discuss a little bit of the horrors of those times. In fact, go to our show notes for that episode for a documentary that she made on life during those times. I legit found that documentary truly scary. Or uh, don't uh, watch the documentary. And you could try to listen to episode 28 because Frances Perkins, she witnessed a triangle waste factory that caught on fire. And she recounts what people did in an attempt to try to escape. Both stories, super horrific. Yeah, there are some really horrible stories during this time, pre-fire. Yeah. Like, 
code required fire safety. Oh, yeah. And since there were no real laws about building safe cities, no one really knew what that was. The U.S. witnessed several awful fires like we just mentioned. There were so many major fires, but a few of the most well-knowns are the Great New York City Fire, the Great Fire of Pittsburgh, the Great Fire of San Francisco, the Great Fire of Boston, and the Great Fire, no, 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 the Great Chicago Fire. It's like if you were a major city before the 1900s, you probably had a major fire. Yeah, it feels like every city had a huge fire during this era. We've talked a bit before about the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 during episode 53, Marion Manny Griffin. Her mom actually carried her out of the fire in a laundry basket when she was a small child. The fire destroyed about 17,000 structures and left more than 100,000 people homeless. And a few years before that one, the Great Fire of Pittsburgh happened on April 10, 1845. It burned a third of the city and cost almost $12 million in damage. New York had a few bad ones as well. One of them was just three months after Pittsburgh's fire. It happened on July 19th, 1845 in Lower Manhattan. It's known as the Great New York City Fire. The fire started at a factory that produced candles and spread super fast through the city's wooden structures until it reached a factory that stored flammable material and it caused a huge explosion. Even though it was terrible, it helped people to see the importance of building codes and of restricting wood frame construction. <sighs> Those were horrible. And just like Francis Perkins, the U.S. cabinet member who influenced building codes, Anna was like, Enough of this. We need a safer way to exit multi-story buildings during a fire. No more rolling in a stair or throwing people down a slide like you're part of some sort of circus. That's right, Anna. Mm -hmm. So in 1887, she patented the first steel exterior fire escape, which would later inspire the modern fire escape we know today. But we're not there yet. We are at the very first steel permanent fixture in a building fire escape. She was totally changing the game. Yeah, it sounds like it. I feel like you have to have something that stays there. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, something permanent instead of rolling one in like the last version. Yeah. Now, Judy, the first iterations that you were mentioning, they were all European inventors. Was Anna's iteration the first in the States? Mm. From what I could find, I would say yes. Okay. Let me describe Anna's fire escape because it's different than I imagined it. Mm, okay. It was technically a fire escape bridge that connected the rooftop of two buildings. Since buildings have different heights, the bridge had a set flat level height and it had openings at both ends that would be reached by stairs. So the stairs were retractable and could reach different heights. And throughout the whole thing, there were railings because we're stepping away from the Circus Act fire escapes of the past. <laughs> and then you made it to the other side and basically went down the stairs of the building that was not burning. Mm. Interesting. So she got you to the top of a different building, essentially, rather than down to the ground. Right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. It still sounds like a circus, though. 
But instead of going down, you're going across like a trapeze, but safer. <laughs> there were railings involved. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a step up. <laughs> Literally. Because you're above. Or down. <laughs> Actually, yeah, above. So, <laughs> listeners, I'm struggling to explain this bridge using words. It's much easier if you see it. So check out our show notes to see plans and elevations that Anna submitted for her patent. Yeah, I when I'm looking at the photo of it or the drawing that she submitted as part of the patent, it's interesting because even the way you described it, I didn't realize it's like there's a hatch at each end of the bridge that like pulls up Mm -hmm. like a trap door kind of thing. And then you like climb down that little ladder into each building on each side. Mm -hmm. And the stair has like adjustable posts under it, depending on the height of the each building. Right. So that's how Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it. But you're right. It's a little bit hard to explain. (laughs) Yeah. The Internet has the exact words that Anna used when she filed for her patent. So I'll read that to you in her own official words. To all whom it may concern, be it known that I, Anna Connolly, a citizen of the United States, residing in the city and county of Philadelphia, state of Pennsylvania, have invented a new and useful improvement in fire escapes, which improvements is fully set forth in the following specification and accompanying drawings. My invention relates to the improvements in fire escapes, and it consists of a bridge surrounded by a railing and having openings in the ends of the floor thereof, as herein described, the said bridge being adapted to be placed on the roofs of adjoining or adjacent buildings, thereby permitting the ready and safe passage from one roof to the other. It further consists in providing in connection with said bridge alarms adapted to be operated from said bridge and located substantially as described, whereby the inmates of either or both of the said buildings may be alarmed as and for the purpose set forth. I was about to say, all of this heretofore set forth beyond herein jargon always seems unnecessary to me. (laughs) Okay, but what stands out to me are the words like alarm and safe passage. So I'm not mad at this wordy description because there is something like wicker basket, fire and swing that were not great before. So anything that Anna did was an improvement. Yeah, I actually think our wording describes the image you showed us pretty well. But I think maybe if you haven't seen the image, then it's hard to understand and follow. But anyway, I also like that she included alarms for both sides of the bridge Mm -hmm. so that it would like let people know in the building that there was a fire. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking ahead. Prior to this invention, New York City officials in the 1860s tried to make it a law that residential buildings needed to have two means of egress because of the amount of people they were stuffing in these spaces. But landlords pushed back and they were like, ain't nobody got money to build another set of stairs on our building. Are you crazy? So the officials had to back down. They were like, all right, all right. But then when Anna's patent came onto the scene, New York City came back and said, check this out. 
here we got an economical solution to add to the buildings. We're going to make building codes and we're going to tell people that all buildings need to have an exterior second means of egress. Anna influenced building codes. That's right. Also, boo to these landlords. Thank God for building codes, y'all. Jeez. Yeah, Anna. So glad that she pushed for more means of egress. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, ugh, the landlords. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct, the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today. So Philadelphia followed suit. And if you didn't install the fire escape or keep it properly maintained, you got heavily fined. So then landlords were like, fine, if we must. (laughs) They were like, fine, we don't want fines. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It came to me. It It came to me. It's right there. I will say, though, I don't like their attitude, but I'm glad that it got Mm -hmm. them to install the fire escapes. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So from a quick deep dive into fire escape patents, I believe the person that invented the zigzag fire escape stairs that we know today was Samuel Katzen, a citizen of Russia that was living in New Jersey. So thanks to Samuel. But basically, Samuel was providing a second iteration, a reinterpretation of Anna's original idea. So Anna gets the credit for the invention of the fire escape. Ooh, interesting. Nice. She laid the groundwork for Samuel. Mm -hmm. What year was his patent? When did those designs become the standard? Because that's like what we know mostly today, right? Yeah. Right. So his application was granted on November 5th, 1895. So a few years after Anna's and it blew up, pun not intended, in 1901 when a new set of regulations passed New York City, which specifically stated that a fire escape would require an extra set of stairs Mm. either inside or outside of the building 
that were fireproof. Mm. And if the stairs were exterior, they had to be on the street facing facade. So that's the start of the iconic facades of New York. Got it. That makes sense. So then his would have been prioritized because it got you to the ground versus her. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it. Like, what if you were stuck on the roof of the other building? Like you couldn't get to the other stairs. I mean, it it was safer to wait there for the fire. I mean, the idea is that then you go into that building and then you go down to the ground. But it is still like if the fire passes from one building to the other. So, yeah. But what if it was closed? Yeah. Mm -hmm. While this was a huge improvement on what existed before in terms of fire safety. People did all sorts of unsafe things on the fire escape. I mean, technically, you're not supposed to be hanging out there. It's not like a balcony for you to put your furniture and plants. It's not for storage of your bike. It's supposed to be kept clear in case of an emergency, right? But like Jessica says, people be people in. (laughs) People be people in. And considering that the landlords didn't even want it in the first place... I'm guessing people didn't know what to do with all of this, quote unquote, extra space. I guess. But the landlords get fined if they don't keep them up. Right. So seems Mm -hmm. like they should have been telling people not to put stuff up there. Right. Yeah. Not that people listen, but, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the landlords were doing their best. But, you know, people. So. Because people used the fire escapes in all sorts of unsafe ways, they started becoming, like I've mentioned again and again, unsafe. Mm. And not only were people using them wrong, sometimes the fire escapes weren't built very well and they would collapse during use. So not so great. Oh, no. Okay, last pun, but a faulty fire escape, it's like adding fuel to the fire. Oh, no. Oh, no, to both of what you said. Yes. Well, there was actually an accident that happened. And here's where this is the biggest trigger warning of this episode. Mm. So there was a big accident and a photographer won a Pulitzer Prize for spot news photography and also World Press Photo of the Year in 1976 for his photo of the event. The photograph is called the fire escape collapse or fire on Marlboro Street. It's a monochrome photograph by Stanley Foreman. Okay, I can't wait to see it. Hopefully it'll be in the show notes. I'm assuming this is a really sad photo, right, Nergity? Yeah. Yes, it's listeners. The photography, in my opinion, is a little disturbing. It made me sad when I saw it. I'm not going to put it on our show notes, but it did win awards. So I'll include a link to it. It's easily fine. Yeah, honestly, you can find it really easily, but I'll put a link to it for because it's reference and a source material. I'll describe it a little bit. It shows a young woman and her two year old goddaughter falling from the collapsed fire escape of a burning apartment building on Marlboro Street in Boston on July 22nd, 1975. The fire escape at the fifth floor was about 50 feet high and it collapsed as a ladder on a fire truck was on its way to pick them up. Wow. This is why we take the building industry so seriously. As architects, the goal is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. 
It sounds like a really intense photo. I'm wondering, did the photo create an emotional reaction from people, though? Like, and it sounds like it was maybe well circulated in an effort to promote fire safety. It sounds really powerful as an argument for better safety, right? Exactly, exactly. The photo was published in more than 100 newspapers around the world, and it led to new fire escape legislation in the United States. In fact, today, exterior fire escapes are not allowed anymore in new construction Mm. because people just weren't doing what they needed to do to keep them safe. Yeah. I mean, I will say I grew up spending summers with my family in New York, and it's like part of the character of the facade to see the fire escapes. So there's a nostalgic feeling for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting to go out there and sit on the fire escape when the Yankees were playing so that I could hear the sounds from the stadium. But my aunt being like, little girl, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get the appeal and I'm sure you would have been safe, but it's still out in the open. Like it's a very open balcony if you think about it. Like very open. Yeah, they're still really open and it could be dangerous. But mm-hmm. even though the content of that photo is really sad and awful, I'm glad that it prompted a change. It sounds like an even bigger change than just better fire escapes, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Anna died in April 1969. She was 100 years old. Whoa. I'm a little glad that she passed away before the terrible fire escape collapse accident that we just described. But I think it's really neat that she lived so long and got to see how her idea was revised and took different shapes and how many lives it did save before new technology like sprinklers and fire alarms and new codes came into the scene. Yeah. At the beginning of our show, we always say that we are not experts because we like to think that we are constantly learning. I would like to think that Anna would be proud to see how these building codes have evolved. But I also wonder what new things she would have invented to make the world even safer. Yeah, it's really nice that she lived so long to see how things improved and got better and how her work was a catalyst for more safety features and regulations afterwards. Mm -hmm. Let's end this part of our story by sharing fun facts about fire escapes that we learned from the website New York Habitat. Thanks, New York Habitat. All right, let's start with the law. There must be direct access to an outdoor fire escape from any apartment above the ground floor. Since this access is almost always through a window, you will want to make sure that the window opens quickly and easily. Insect screams are allowed, but only if they slide open vertically or horizontally. If the exit window is covered by metal bars or a security gate, the device must be approved by the fire department, which requires bars to be releasable from the inside without a key. It's against the law to put anything in front of a fire escape window. If your escape window is in the kitchen, be sure not to put your refrigerator in front of it. It's not illegal to stand or sit on your fire escape hence the popularity of the social space during the summer parties like or the activities that noji was saying but (laughs) do be advised that partying on your fire escape is highly discouraged by the fdny and other authorities as accidents can happen number two obstructions 
Many people may not know that it's illegal by penalty of a misdemeanor charge to store anything on a fire escape. You might see people illegally storing bicycles on their fire escapes, and it's also illegal to cover the platform outside your access window. For instance, you can't surround it with wire mesh to give pets a safe place to sit. Air conditioners can also illegally obstruct fire escapes. So if you see anything on a fire escape that concerns you, it's okay to politely ask your neighbor to remove it. Okay, number three, colors. So in 1929, there was a law that required that the fire escapes had to be made of rust-prone materials or covered with two or more coats of good paint in contrasting colors. So people started painting their fire escapes all sorts of colors. So if you go walking through the neighborhoods of Soho or Greenwich Village or East Village or Lower East Side, you're going to see a whole bunch of different fire escapes, maybe like a rainbow. And that was because they would paint it on two different colors so that when the paint started chipping, you could easily tell like, oh, there's like red and black going on. It's time to paint it again. And that made it rust proof, which made it a lot safer. Landlords still had to keep their fire escapes rust free and painted with the two good coats, but often they would do it at, as these like really, really dazzling colors and it became like a whole iconic thing in New York. Number four, the drop ladder. So a fire escape is not very helpful if when you're trying to get down, the ladder doesn't work. So 16 feet is the maximum distance allowed from the lowest fire escape balcony to the ground, which is a long way to jump. So your ladder might be fixed in place or swing down from a hinge, but it's likely to be the kind that descends vertically and like slides out from the lowest platform. You don't need a drop ladder if the distance from the lowest balcony is five feet or less. Although that's still a daunting leap for some people. Yeah. Yeah, I I would be pretty scared. <laughs> Drop ladders were designed to be retracted so that they could prevent unwanted entry to the building by burglars or somebody. Mm. But if the ladder is always extended to the ground, let your landlord know in case it's a security concern. It's not illegal, but you just don't want people having access to your house. If there's no ladder in sight, you should definitely tell the landlord. Number five, overall safety. So although good maintenance and decent paint are mandatory, most fire escapes were built before World War II and more than a few were installed on much older buildings. So if the fire escape structure seems rickety or if it's weak or broken steps, it's not in compliance with the law. So let people know. The general rule is that nothing should touch a fire escape but your feet. Okay, so fire escapes should be kept clear of even natural debris. There's even a law that says that you need to clear the fire escape from any buildup of snow or ice in the winter and pileups of leaves in the fall. All of that needs to be cleared to maintain the safety of the fire escape. Lovely. Great facts. All right. Now we have reached the second half of our episode, the karyotid. This is where we select a woman living today who is doing her thing, furthering the profession and whose work continues to hold the profession up just like the karyotids or columns shaped like women found on Greek style buildings. Let's do the drum roll. Today, we have two karyotids. 
Chloe Vickery, and Kate Blake. Woo! Yay! Chloe and cool. Kate. Chloe Vickery and Kate Blake are co-founders of the group Women in Fire Safety. This is a group that is based in London, England. Their goal is to honor the outstanding achievements and contributions of all women within the fire safety community. Cool. Chloe began her journey in the fire safety industry in 2008. She's had a chance to work for fire safety contractors, distributors, and manufacturers throughout many aspects of different projects. Today, she specializes in fire risk assessment, tenant engagement, and tailored fire safety solutions for both new builds and existing properties as the National Fire Risk Assessment Manager at JLA Group. That's so cool that she can apply what she learned from all of her experiences. Kate was working in finance until 2008 when she changed career paths and got into the construction industry. Eventually, she landed on the manufacturing side for the fire safety industry. She was inspired to join this field after having a daughter and wanting to show her that anything is possible. She wanted to do something about the lack of women involved in the construction and fire safety. Love this inspiration for Kate. Yes and yes. It's also interesting to me that this is like her second career. Yeah. Yeah. I was drawn to the Women in Fire Safety Group because just like Anna, they are committed to improving the safety of people who inhabit buildings from dangerous fires. And also, they have a mission statement that deeply resonates with us in their own words. And I quote, we strive to address the historical gender imbalance and champion for more progressive industry. That is why, as an organization, we aim to continuously motivate and promote women who exceptionally improve fire safety standards. Throughout our journey, we hope to also encourage the next generation to see fire safety as an outstanding career opportunity by further highlighting how varied, inclusive, diverse, and rewarding the industry is as a collective. I love this. They're so passionate about what they do and have such a great connection to Anna and how she tried to promote and improve fire safety, which is so, so important. Yeah. It's a very cool group. Yeah. I reached out to them. So hopefully they actually reached out back. But right now they are working on they have a, an awards ceremony that's going on. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty busy. But as soon as it's done, the, the lady said she'd get back to me. So cool. Maybe there'll be a charrette. Ooh, stay tuned for that. All right. So now it's time for the Agora. In Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. So now we are going to share some good news and share the excitement and the winds together. We want to congratulate Big Mo, who is creating life as we speak. She's making little fingers and little toes, and we are excited to meet the little human she is creating really soon. Yes. All right. So listeners, let's continue to share great news from you. If you have news to share, big or small, please send them to our email, shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments together. 
Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, muchas gracias to all of you for listening. Remember to check out our show notes for links to all of our resources on this episode, as well as pictures of projects that we've talked about. We hope you enjoyed learning about Anna, Chloe, and Kate, along with our banter, and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. SheBuilds Podcast is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your fire safety chiefs, your firefighters, anything fire related. Tell them. Give us five stars on iTunes and Spotify and write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Hasta luego. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm a little glad. Well. Yeah. With her original date. I'm a little glad. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. The, the Anna that I believe is our Anna was 100 years old. We love it. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.